Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Marketing Agency Show, where we explore solutions to the biggest challenges faced by agencies. Hey, y'all. Thank you so much for joining me for the Marketing Agency Show, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Brooke Sellis, and this is the show for agency owners and agency marketers. We explore the topics that no one else is talking about. So pull up a seat to the table and let's have a great conversation. Today, I'll be joined by John Wall, a marketing and sales visionary. Also, if you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow the show so you don't miss any of our future content. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the Social Media Marketing Society. Each month, our top-tier guests who have been on my show, are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. Let's transition over to this week's guest, John. To help explore the frontier of working at and growing agencies, here is this week's expert guide. Hey, y'all. Today, I am super duper excited to be joined by John Wall, who is one of the most thoughtful people I know. If you don't know John, he speaks, writes, and practices at the intersection of marketing, sales, and technology. He's also a partner at Trust Insights and has held positions specializing in customer relationship management, marketing automation, and has worked with clients such as Amazon, Salesforce, Microsoft, and Oracle. Phew, John, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's good to catch up. So fun to catch up. John and I have been like to a few dinners together now. And I have to say, like, we've had some great times here recently. We have been juggling a lot of heavy work <laughs> and trying to figure things out. So yeah, we've had a good time kind of talking about the inside of everything. And uh, yeah, you know, there's no, never a shortage of stuff going on in MarTech and sales for us. Yes. And I love talking to John about sales, which is kind of what today's chat is about. Like how much time do you spend on marketing? How much time do you spend on sales? And how much time should you spend on each of those things, right? It's a constant battle and a challenge. But, you know, there's a, a lot of strategic stuff that you have to keep in mind because ultimately you can just paint yourself into a corner. You know, I, every agency owner knows about that position they get to where they're like, oh my God, I'm working 80 hours a week and I haven't done any sales prospecting 
if these two clients leave, I'm going to die. What do I do? Yes. Oh, my gosh. You just made me even more excited if that's even possible for today. So let's start with the first question, which is what made you kind of jump in with our friends, Katie and Chris, who've also been on the show, by the way. So make sure you go listen to Chris Penn's episode, Katie Robert's episode. And now we have their partner, John. So what made you jump in with these crazy two? With those two wild guys. Yeah, so I had worked with Christopher Penn for over a decade. We do this podcast, Marketing Over Coffee, and that's just been a great thing for years and years. And, you know, I did always think that, you know, there must be something that we can do to spin this off. And even just the podcast itself has been successful. But Katie and Chris were working together at Shift Communications and the place went through, they got acquired. And then the big thing was that they had been doing a lot of work for PR analytics, determining what campaigns were working and not working. And they had clients that were saying, look, do this analysis for all of our marketing. Like That's great. We get it for PR, but like we want to find about everything. And so they realized that it would be better for them to bail from shift and hang a shingle and start the agency. And we knew right from the start, the marketing over coffee stuff was driving business to Trust Insights. And then just before COVID, I was at an event tech company that completely melted down and basically went offline and at that point, Katie and Chris were like, well, you're doing stuff with us already. You know, why don't you just start doing some more stuff and let's see what we can do. And yeah, that was, it's going over five years now that I've been with those guys. So yeah, I kind of fell into it. And it was good that, you know, we were kind of already working together and having some success. So it wasn't like, oh, let's sit and figure out what this should be. It was kind of like, no, let's just kind of do more of what we're doing and see if we can, you know, be more successful. I love that. I can't believe it's been that long either because I remember... I met them in Boston for lunch shortly after they had started the company. And that just seems like a thousand years ago and yesterday all at the same time. <laughs> yeah, it is amazing how much time passes, isn't it? Like that's part of all this too for agency life is that you don't realize how the time is spinning by. You kind of get wrapped up in the grind of day to day. And every once in a while that, you know, that's why annual strategic sessions are so popular because it's like, Everybody's like, oh, wait a minute, it's November. Like, we, we got to figure out what we're doing next year. Let's uh, sit down and have a long meeting. You know, you kind of need to, what is it? The days are long and the years are short. Yes. Oh my gosh, yes. So I know we've talked about this a little bit before with Katie and Chris, but from your perspective, which is more of like the sales hat, let's just say, what kind of clients does Trust Insights serve? Yeah, that's a great question, really. The, the easy answer is that we have always worked on the edge of marketing analytics. You know, so if it's you're measuring your marketing and you want to try some new programs or you want to do more analysis as far as what works, those are the kind of people that hang out with us. Like we have our analytics for marketer Slack group where people are talking about Google Analytics and attribution all day long. It's a certain geeky kind of early adopter marketer. And those are our customers. But yeah, product market fit has been a challenge for us. It's kind of like, you know, a year and a half ago. Google Analytics was going to GA4. Everybody we were talking to was like, how do we figure this out? What are we going to do? Well, fast forward a year later, everybody hates GA4 and nobody wants to do anything, <laughs> as, as you see. And the other big one for us now has been generative AI. Chris has gone all in on that because there's so much happening there on the marketing front. So we are a training and education company, really, in that all of our materials are constantly moving things forward. And then we do sell a lot of services. You know, there's people that, okay, we want to learn about this, but you know, help us out and actually do it so that we can skip the learning curve and skip some of those, you know, is it like, it seems like any marketing tactic you jump into, there's always these traps, you know, there's every agency tries to do some Google ads for two months and burns a bunch of money in a pile and moves on. And 
so yeah, we try and help people avoid those pitfalls on the analytics side and on attribution. And uh, the other one too is some predictive too. We do a lot of the machine learning models that Chris has put together can tell you going forward, like what topics are going to be hot or what kind of content should you be creating. That's another segment of the business. <laughs> and then I always took the third leg of the stool is just everybody's analytics are a mess. You know, it's like, okay, with this stuff is not working. The reporting's not accurate. What are we doing wrong? And just being the the plumbers to fix stuff is all that's, you know, every customer has headaches like that, that they need help with. Agreed. And I mean, even I would say this without loving all three of you to death, but like, I feel like you're the first place companies need to go because a lot of times, you know, like you were just saying about ads, they'll come to us and they're like, we don't have any landing pages. Nothing's hooked up for tracking. You know, we have no idea what's up or down. And we're like, okay, so then how are we going to be able to prove success to you? You've got to do these things first. Like you really should have focused on like getting that set up correct so that we can track the things. But yeah. All right. So let's get into it. I feel I'm just going to say right from the beginning, I feel a little bit attacked because (laughs) I feel like every year during our annual meeting, my husband, Alex, who's our CSO and our COO, always we always have this question. He, He feels like I'm spending most or more of my time on marketing and not enough on sales. And we have this conversation, like I said, every year, sometimes more. So based on your experience and you have a ton of it, what is the ideal balance between marketing and sales if you're trying to, you know, move your agency into a successful direction, which I think all of us are. You know, there's no one answer for every company. It is unique. You do have to adjust on the fly, but there's a couple of patterns that we see that make it easy to figure out kind of where you should be. So, and I'm a big fan of Gabriel Weinberg and Justin Maris did this book, Traction, where they analyzed over 200 startups. And so if you're in that area. If you're a company that's just trying to get off the ground and you kind of, everybody has to wear all the hats at all the time, they do a real solid split of just saying, okay, you spend 50% of your time on the product and 50% of your time figuring out, you know, how to sell it and working with customers. Like you need to be spending half your time at that stage because you don't have a product market fit at that point, right? You need to be putting product out there and then getting feedback to say, okay, will people actually buy this? Like you and your team think, hey, this is the greatest tool ever or our stack of services, you know, we're the best at Google and Facebook ads, but a customer has to believe that they have to, you know, get there and understand. So you spend a ton of time up front doing that. And then as you move up the line, what usually happens is you end up specializing, right? There's a, from traction, we've actually taken that a little bit further. There's like 20 different marketing tactics that you can do to try and grow business. And with, with traction, they say, look, you start with three. You know, you just pick three tactics and you are kind of working those as a single person. But as the business grows, you'll start adding people and you may say, hey, this one channel paid ads really works for us. We're going to put somebody on that full time. And so then that becomes its own little mini business where you're looking at, okay, how much are we paying? How much is it generating? Is that worth doing? And you're constant. That's one of those managing the business things that especially for any company under $20 million, really you're just kind of like surfing, you know, there's even a better analogy. It talks about riding a tiger, right? Like you're riding a tiger and everybody thinks that, oh my God, that's so cool. You're riding a tiger. And the reality is you're on the tiger saying, oh my God, how did I end up on this tiger? (laughs) Oh my God, I love that so much. That's what it is. And so what happens with the mix is usually it's exception driven, right? You reach a point where you're like, oh, wait a minute, we're down this quarter. We better go back and do some marketing and sales. The, the cliche answer is saying that's too late. Well, it's not too late. It's just that the return on it is probably going to be longer than you want. But, you know, you still better start today because you're going to need the money at some point. 
And it's just a question of if you have a you know large enough war chest to ride through it. Yeah, so your options are kind of, you know, amp it up when things get bad or set up just uh, some kind of cadence. And it's great pretty much for any company to do, you know, do quarterly review, you know, just like come back at the end of the quarter and say like, okay, how did we do? Did we get enough leads in? Did these programs generate enough stuff? How was our churn? You know, stuff like that is huge, especially for agencies. Churn is just, it's not as bad as SaaS software, but it's about there because it's, if somebody reaches the end of a, a commitment and they haven't seen the value enough to renew, then that's a huge product problem for you, right? Like you have to go and figure out, okay, where did we go wrong? Like, did we not deliver what they thought they were going to get? Or did we deliver it and we didn't get the results? Like, that's been a funny thing for us is that, yeah, we deliver everything, but we found out that a lot of times we're the bearer of bad news. Like we spend a year telling people, hey, okay, we got all your analytics turned on and you're doing a terrible job with A, B, and C. Oh boy. <laughs> you know, unless we're going to come in and do A, B, C for them. Uh, in some situations, they're glad to dump us because they're like, oh, well, stop getting those reports. I don't have to explain <laughs> why those numbers are so bad anymore if I get rid of Trust Insights. So yeah, it's kind of a, a constant scale. But the easy one is, you know, start at half. And then as you go up, hopefully you'll dial in and specialize. So you're still spending almost the same total number of hours. But especially for the principal of the agency, you're not feeling like, you know, you're just always not doing the stuff you need to be doing over on the strategic side. Yeah. I love the book Traction too, by the way. I'll make sure that we post that in the show notes, which by the way are on the YouTube channel. So if you head over to the YouTube channel, if you happen to be listening to this, check there and we will link out to the book Traction because I think that's a great piece of advice. And we kind of hit on size already, which, you know, if you're if you're under 20 million, which I think most of us listening or watching are, if you are over, congrats to you. So, you know, you kind of read the book Traction, do it 50-50, but I have a question. How does content come into that? And again, this is like a, a personal question, but I think it will benefit everyone. So like when you are working on content that is sales related, so like pitch decks, updating pitch decks, you're working on like reports that are free or gated, you know, things that could be, you know, inbound leads. How do you count that? Do you even split that kind of work between marketing and sales because it is kind of both or is it considered sales? Like, what does that look like for you? Yeah. So, you know, content marketing is definitely just one of the marketing channels. Right. And you hit on a good point, which is ultimately if and if you have solid product market fit, all of your content is going to support sales. Like you're not putting anything out there that the sales team is just going to look at and say, hey, that's irrelevant. Like we don't care about it. Pretty much any piece of content you do is either saying, you know, it's going to educate them about who we are or it's going to educate them about the product. And then it's funny, we actually do have some negative pieces. We have some pieces that if somebody downloads and reads this thing and is asking for more of this, we know that they're not going to be a customer. Oh, like, interesting. People, we, that is actually a disqualifier. Yeah, you know, creating content is definitely a, a part of it. And then I, I guess a great way to, to actually look at this is to look at traction again. And what they said is sales and marketing structure and who's doing what jobs actually doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter whether you call it sales or you call it marketing if you're supporting the sales team. The important part is that they are working together properly. That's the real thing. So if you have, uh, and you see orgs do this all the time where they have somebody who's supporting the sales team and they're either under the marketing structure or they're under the sales structure. They could be under either team and they could be incentivized different ways. And there's all this drama and angst about like, where should they be? But the reality is if they're working with the sales team and getting honest feedback and then giving the salespeople back resources that they can use and put to use, then that job is getting done right and the titles don't really matter. 
But yeah, you kind of, you know, the best way is to start from the bottom and view all the marketing materials as sales materials. Like, you know, because ultimately you want to start with content that prospects are looking for. And so, you know, usually start with like testimonial videos and how to's of like, here's how our product works and here's what happens. Cause that's the stuff that the people that have already talked to you once and are considered buying, that's the stuff that they watch. And then you move up the funnel usually as you go with content, you know, you start to do stuff that's just educational about like, well, here's why you'd want to have an agency manage this kind of stuff for you. And here's the stuff that we're doing. Here's why it takes pain out of your day. And then at the very top of the funnel, you could just be doing what is paid ads and things like that. But was it Tim Street used to always tell me like if the content doesn't in some way make the cash register ring like you need to adjust you don't have the right stuff okay so then let's talk about that a little bit more so when you are looking at sales and marketing and you're trying to obviously grow your agency I think that's what we're all doing right and we're figuring out how to allocate time maybe we're doing the 50 50 start at the beginning what performance indicators or KPIs help you like what are you looking for when you are deciding how much to put in the marketing bucket versus the sales bucket, you said like it's based on like if things are going well or not, but like, are there any KPIs that you look at specifically? It's based on things going well. That's just the default that people fall to. Like that's not where you want to be. That's like pretty much worst case scenario. The way to jump at it is really start from the back end and work your way forward. So, you know, if you can net promoter scores, you know, talk to your existing customers. Why do you like us? You know, what are the things that we make your life do easier? How do we take pain out of your day? Like anything there is the best stuff. Talking about people who have renewed and then getting to close deals. That's that's a, a crucially important one too. You want to make sure that in your CRM system or wherever, you have a field in there so that when a deal closes, somebody does ask, hey, you know, where did you learn the most about us? Or what was the best marketing touch we made to you? Like get that feedback right at that point because it gets forgotten instantly. You know, getting that there is huge. And then, so you look at the win rate, you know, what's the difference between what kind of content did the deals that closed looked at versus everybody else. And then from there, you can, and this is usually the case, like most businesses that aren't huge, you bump it up to sales qualified leads. It's like, okay, so we sent X number of leads that we thought were marketing qualified, you know, they came in the door for us. How many of those did the sales guys like? Like, what was the percentage of hit on those? And, you know, you can do the the numbers on this, but this is another one like where emotional is huge for the sales team. The sales team will always throughout the year or salespeople will be saying like, do more of that program. I like those people. You know, those were the good ones. You know, let's go to that trade show again, or let's go, you know, run that come get breakfast program that you did or whatever it is, but find out the programs that work. So that's, yeah, if you have kind of like no data to go on, you go with sales qualified leads and marketing qualified leads, you know, just get a count of who these people are and figure out where they came from. And then you can say, okay, how do we get more of those people? Yeah. What about customer lifetime value? So CLV, that happens to be my favorite metric because it does take churn into account. I think that's why I like it so much because like, I'll just give you an example. So for our customer care program, where we're doing, you know, social media customer service for those clients, that's the service. We have had zero churn in six years. So I love the CLV number. So I just curious, like, how do you feel about customer lifetime value as one of those metrics or KPIs? That's one of those. I mean, you need a ton of data and a ton of customers to kind of figure that out, right? Because even like, so you've never lost a, a customer. So in theory, your lifetime value is infinite, right? Because it, <laughs> it appears they're never going to leave. So they're just an endless source of money. One way to step that down to make it a little more useful is annual customer annual value. 
Okay. You know? So yeah, you I can like say, that. okay, X year we get X amount of dollars. And so, yeah, depending on your model, you're going to say, okay, we can almost minus expenses and fix expenses. We can go up to 80% of the value of that customer or whatever to try and find new business because we know that these things pay off huge. Yeah. So just to dig in a little bit more in case this is helpful for anybody listening or watching, we're going to launch an account-based marketing campaign for the first time ever for this particular group for, you know, social care customers. And so I think that's what's so alluring, I guess, about CLV in this situation is that I feel like the amount that we put into running these campaigns can be very high because even if we get one good result, one closed business one, I mean, it, it more than takes care of itself. Yeah, it'll pay. And so that's, and especially when you look at ABM like that, that's a, a key component of that is you start to look at the sales process differently. You know, it's like, if we know that somebody is going to bring in $250,000 a year, well then flying to their home office and taking five people out to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse is not a bad idea. Like if that's going to get you to talk to everybody or an easy workaround with that too is, so you're talking to your senior exec over there. Hey, I'm going to X show. Are you going to this show? Well, if we get you a free ticket and hotel and cover your expense, you know, do you want to meet me there and you can go to the show and we can talk. Great idea. Yeah. Because you know that if they're going to go to that show, they're qualified for what you do. You know, that, that show is a qualifier. We are, tend to be pretty straight laced in B2B, but, you know, B2C companies do this kind of stuff. It's just like, hey, meet me on the cruise, you know, like they'll just send people on crazy junkets and boondoggles because really the key is, especially with ABM, you need to qualify that account as quickly as you can. And with the kind of stuff where you're doing, you know, that you're working on, you need to find out kind of what is the political climate in there? Like, do people want to have somebody working on their social accounts or not? Like at some companies, everybody's got the potato and is trying to throw it to the guy at their right so that they don't have to deal with it. And that, but then at other companies, there's somebody that's like, yeah, this is my domain. Like nobody is going to take my job from me. Like we're not going to hire anybody to do any of this. Everybody likes to talk analytics and numbers and, you know, formulas. But like the reality is the faster you can get in and just figure out what the human situation is in there, that will determine whether or not it's a viable deal, whether or not there's opportunity there for you. Yeah, ABM is a big changer and kind of like, you know, you're not looking at saving five cents per piece as you send stuff out. It's like, okay, let's spend the money fast and figure out what's up. Yeah, I love that you use the potato analogy. We're, we're typically, that's the hot potato in businesses. Like nobody wants to handle, you know, customers on social 24-7 who are typically yelling and angry. So I love the potato strategy. But what would you say for anybody else who's watching or listening, what strategies can they use or implement from your, you know, based on your experience to maximize efficiency, both in marketing and sales and product development, right? All the things, like how have you seen wins through some some strategy? Another way to think about it is that it's defensive by nature, right? You're responding to customer activity and customer wants. So you can't just like build and throw something against them and hope it works. You have to get from them, hey, this is what we're willing to pay for. This is what we have budget for. This is what I have the authority to do. And even this is my time frame of like, this is when it needs to get done. Like once you can answer all those questions, then you can be as efficient as you possibly can be. So having some kind of regular cycle for like, okay, we're going to go back and look at, here's what was sold. Here's what they got. Here's how they felt about it. That's really your product development cycle as, you know, an agency offering services. Like you, the good news is you can tell from the demand front, right? It's like, if you put something out like, hey, we have this special of these kind of campaigns we're running for you. 
And if you've got a good house list and you just get a ton of response, you're like, well, yeah, we, you know, we've hit a vein. This is what a customer wants to buy. Like those are the wins you celebrate. Unfortunately, most of the time it's kind of like, okay, let's go out. And, and a good trick with this too is it's always scaled rollouts, right? Like when you first come up with an idea, you throw it against your best customers, five best customers. And you're like, hey, here's what we're thinking about doing. You know, what do you think about this? Would you pay for this? And maybe you even take on one or two of them at usually a severely discounted price. But the agreement up front is like, okay, we're going to do this work for you. We're not really sure how it's going to go. You know, like if it's wildly successful, this is going to be the greatest bargain you ever got. But there is also a chance that we may find that there's nothing here. But you do that smaller rollout and then you get validation and proof point if the product works and if it's effective. And then you can start to market it to the rest of the org. One, another trick with that, though, too, that a lot of companies do, it's not you can't do it as much on the agency side. But you could do it as far as anytime you have a new product, always take, you can run ads and you can do placeholders and pre-announcements and things like that. Like saying, hey, you know, are you interested in if we could do X, Y, and Z for you? And just put that ad out there and see what kind of action it gets. And then you can just go to a landing page and say, put your email here, you know, for more info when we do this in 60 days or whatever. But so you could have five or six ideas out there bubbling all the time as far as what should our next service be. And then at the end of two months, you could go back and look like, okay, this ad never got a single click. You know, this one got at least 50 clicks. You can definitely cross some stuff off the list because you just know that, okay, people don't care about this at all. Unless we find a new way to make people care about it, it's not going to sell itself. So it's a waste of time. That's really super advice because, yeah, I feel like a lot of times, you know, we hear things and then we run forward with whatever the new service or product is. But like you said, like it may have been one person's passion with, you know, when you talk to them, but it's not everybody's passion. Right. So now we're sitting there with this new product or service that we spent all this time on and we're like twiddling our thumbs because no one's interested. Yeah, because nobody wants to go. And it's interesting that that's it, it flips. It's on the other side, too. Right. Because, you know, it's easy for us to be like, ask the customer, always talk to the customer. But you'll find out that there's customers that have these weird edge cases that are painful for them. But, you know, you're like, oh, OK, so if we do X and Y and Z for you, you know, you'll pay for that and you'll be happy. But then you find out that, like, none of your other customers have any interest in that. Like that problem doesn't exist for them because maybe that first guy is too big or they're too good or, you know, whatever the issue is. But, yeah, you can be misled both internally and externally. So that's another part of the magic of it. That's a great point. So speaking of technology, just because you're in technology, how are you viewing automation and technology, obviously AI being one of them right now? Like, are these tools helping with balancing time? Are they critical to agency management? Are they disruptors <laughs> in figuring out how to spend time? Like, what's your point of view there? Yeah, the, there's a lot of weird stuff going on. This is, a, again, well, it's always a unique time, but, you know, we have some interesting things going on. Generative AI is a whole new level of search, right? Like, it used to be that you would put in something and you'd get 10 results back. Well, now you can put in something and get, you know, a 12-step plan that's <laughs> pretty good, you know, that's like yeah. 70% good. But so one of the, the disclaimers I have with this stuff that we've seen from putting it to use is that, you know, you have to understand that there's two things going on. One is that it's built just by scouring the web. And of course, there are lunatics on the web, right? I mean, there are just people that are completely making stuff up. And, you know, so there's a lot of you know, it's not the best that humanity can do, but it is the mass of what humanity can do. And then these models also are giving you the most probable answer, right? Like not the correct answer, just the one that it thinks is the most probable. So the, the another way to think about this is it's, 
it gets you to 70%, right? Like if you don't play the piano at all, this will get you like a 70% piano piece that's pretty good. It's not going to be as good as someone who plays the piano professionally. But if you don't play the piano at all, it can definitely get you some of the way there. And so this is huge for agencies, right? Because so many agencies are built on a model where you have some kind of junior employees at the bottom who are doing a lot of the grunt work. And this revolutionizes kind of the grunt work segment, right? Being able to come up with lists or come up with 20 blog post ideas over the next month and even do an initial cut of the blog post. And we have already seen this even bubble all the way through to, you know, agencies using this to create content and their clients are already coming back saying, we know you're using AI, like we want a price cut. You, you should be able to give us a better cut because of this. Like it's the heat is already on for this. So yeah, generative AI is, we've seen a couple studies with consulting groups becoming 30, 40% more effective because they're using generative AI tools to do first drafts and to summarize stuff. And we have a whole course on how you can apply this, you know, these things, which has gotten hot for us. And there's a lot of buzz around that. So that's big. I, the one that's got me excited, though, is more of the augmented reality. <gasps> yes. There's some insane, this Apple headset, which has been delayed, and there's just so much tech packed into that thing that is nuts. Um, it, like if you said, there's this whole idea where you wear this headset, and when you go into a Zoom meeting, you see the people in the room, and then it actually takes, virtually takes the headset off of you. So you appear in the Zoom meeting as if you're not wearing the headset. And, you know, some of these mind changing, uh, it just totally changes the way people work with each other. And then the idea of having a virtual desktop, you know, instead of just the one screen that you're working on on your machine, imagine having like five whiteboards, you know, around your entire room that you're able to work on and, and move around and organize information. So there's a lot of exciting stuff. And that's the tech that's got me most excited. But yeah, generative AI has all the buzz right now. Yeah, I'm so excited about AR and VR. We just did our yearly state of social care report. And I have a whole section on AI, AR and VR. I have AI in there too. But what is exciting to me about like the shopping experience or like when you're troubleshooting, like imagine, you know, your heater goes out, it's winter, you're freezing. Imagine being able to use like some sort of goggle and get on with the, you know, technician who can walk you through how to like restart your starter, relight your starter. Obviously, I've never done this. But you know what I'm saying? They can walk you through it without having to be there, right? So I just think the implications are huge. And I don't know if this is good for our times spent or bad. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. I mean, because the other thing with that is, you know, you look at the people that are smart enough to fix the furnace, right? They're spending an hour driving to the house, five minutes getting the pilot light lit, and then an hour driving home. Well, now they could do seven of those an hour you know, via VR, you know, you're taking the useless stuff out of the cycle. Yeah. Then there's the bigger question of like, okay, does that mean that the company that they work for becomes seven times more profitable and they get the same crappy wage? You know, who knows? That, that's it. Equity is a whole nother problem we have to deal with. You know, these tools do make people more powerful. There's no doubt about that. Do you have any successful stories or case studies that you can share with us where you've seen agencies or companies that found this effective balance and you know, figured it out essentially for what to spend on marketing and sales. Maybe it's your own, you know, maybe it's Trust Insights, but, and, and what can you share with us about that client or, or how can you tell us that story so we can learn from you or it? You know, the most success, like Trust Insights is definitely not there, right? Like we are still figuring out our marketing mix. And the big thing for us we found is so much of it is organic. Like it's not about spend. 
It's about making sure all of us are doing enough keynote speaking and getting out in the world. We're producing enough resources that get shared around. And so it's, it's even weirder for us because it's not just a dollars thing, right? So many orgs are just like, okay, we need to spend, you know, X amount in ads to drive Y in business and pull that lever. But it's really is the easy answer that everybody can go with is it's just a matter of granularity, right? It's like, okay, so we've got the website up. Is that bringing us traffic? You know, are people getting to the, can people convert? And do we get the the stats on whether or not it's working? So you've got one piece that works and then you just expand out from there. And for most orgs, you start with the website and then it's, you know, email or text list. You know, we communicate with our customers, prospects and friends is that all set up? Can we track that? Do we have a cadence? You know, how do they like to get their content and material? So that that gets you to two right there. And then usually in it for any business, you have to have a sales component as the third leg of that. You know, you have to have people that are talking to customers, hopefully every day, hopefully to more than one customer a day who are getting the real-time feedback as far as like, okay, we did this, it worked. We did this, it didn't work. They are happy, they are angry. And that's the kind of stuff that, gives you enough intelligence to figure out what the next step would be. So yeah, you, if you figure website communication channel and sales, if you're doing those three things, and even, you know, just to make sure you're keeping things alive, if you touch each of those once a day, or you spend an hour on each of those a week, you at least are doing something to move the ball forward. And you're not going to be caught blind as far as, oh, hey, we didn't realize that this was a total mess. You know, you at least are working the systems and have a chance to kind of get to the next level. Yeah. What's your take from a sales perspective on content, gated or ungated and why? (laughs) You know, it's an internal argument, but one thing that we found that is really effective is that it depends on whether or not you're doing it for awareness or for conversions. And so what we usually see is that stuff at the top of the funnel, where it's just educational material, that stuff will leave ungated because you want that stuff to just fly around the world to everybody for free and you don't care if the customers get it. But then as people get deeper down into the funnel and they identify themselves, and this is an interesting thing, you can do all kinds of cool stuff with this. Like if you have products at three different price levels and you have videos about those products that are gated, now you can say that, okay, you know, the people that register for this video, we know that they're not in the price range for services B and C. Or, and by the same token, if somebody's registering for the video for the expensive product, now you know that, okay, maybe that's even an ABM candidate. Like if people are going to that kind of thing, we know that they're more qualified and ready to go. So that just as a general rule of thumb, having some free stuff and then having some gated stuff near the bottom is good. Because what you can do is with the free stuff, you get a million leads. I, there, there was an old company that did a John Cleese humorous video about IT security and I had talked to the team that had done it. It was like, we are getting, you know, 25,000 leads a week from this thing. (laughs) And it was just completely untenable, right? They just couldn't do it. And so the key was, you know, then you send them the second piece where they've got to throw you an email address or some kind of info. And they wouldn't even engage anybody until the third stage where they're, you know, okay, now they got the less boring video that wasn't just funny, you know? So that, that's a model that works, but yeah, you know, the stats are, if something's ungated, you can count on it going, you know, 12X or more around the world. And so that can generate awareness. That's one way to think about it. Yeah, I, I like it. I like it. It's always a debate. And, you know, we've decided to ungate a bunch of things and then we have some things that are gated, but it's always it's always a debate. It's always in question. Right. You touched on this earlier and I want to push a little bit more on it. But 
how does customer feedback, you were talking about talking to the customer hopefully every day or at least every week, how should customer feedback influence time allocation between marketing, sales, and or product development? This is another area where machine learning can really help out for you and do a lot of stuff. You know, if you have some kind of standard survey taking where people are giving you answers and then you you can have you know, a, a model take and chew on that and give you back a summary of, okay, here's the five things that customers are most angry about. That's huge for product, right? Especially because we have clients that run call centers and we're able to run this data and then we can go back and say, okay, if you put up an FAQ webpage, you know, for these first five things, 60% of your call volume will not show up at the call center because they'll be able to self-serve. So that's huge if you can summarize or get to it. It is great to have a system like that where it gets summarized because you otherwise you're going to get to the point where there's you just run into bias where it's like, okay, well, the three best customers say that this is what they need, but maybe you're ignoring a new market that, you know, that they don't care about. And maybe you've had seven tiny customers ask for it, but nobody cares about those tiny customers because the sales and people in accounting, you know, are only paying attention to the big guys. So having some kind of structure as far as like, okay, how are we going to weigh this feedback and what are we going to consider real and not real? Yeah. If you've got enough data to analyze it, then you're loving life. You can really get where you want to go. If it's not enough to be statistically valid, then you have to just kind of use the force and hope you you know, stay on the road. <laughs> use the force. So answer me this, because this is a lot of what we do with our clients' social conversations, right? We're kind of running that data through predictive modeling and AI to understand like certain things that it would take a team of people months, maybe even years to figure out, right? As a pattern or a trend. What tools do you recommend for anyone who's listening or watching? Because, you know, we all know, or at least I hope we all know by now that you shouldn't be taking any of your clients data and putting it on like chat GPT, right? To run because well, first of all, you better be sure that you're allowed to do that. And my guess is you're probably not because your agreement doesn't have anything about using generative AI in their data, right? So are there any tools out there right now that you know of where anybody who's listening or watching again could go and, and try to figure out some of this predictive modeling through AI that is private? Yeah, so it's not to the stage where you can just go download something and run with it. Yeah, so this is, we do a lot of AI readiness consulting and we have clients who, the, the exact scenario you're talking about, they're like, okay, we want to put all of our data in here, but we realize that we're, you know, this is PII that we're giving to this company and we don't want to do that. And so there are a number of models that will now run on a MacBook Pro that's kind of top end. You can easily run a lot of these models. And so, and that's where Chris is the expert on that. We have him, you know, there's certain models you use for different things. Like he has models that he uses for transcribing and for adding any kind of text to video or audio there's other tools that he's using for sentiment to figure out what's going on as far as who likes what and where things go. Yeah, there, there's a bunch of different tools in the matter of picking which model to do. And the other thing that's, there's two levels to it. You know, there's a lot of these tools where you can cut and paste a prompt, you know, like that's great, but that doesn't really scale when you get to doing that 25 or 30 times a day. So which of the models have a strong enough API so that you can start to code against it? You know, do you have somebody that can write some Python so that they can make it work? There's different levels of effort. And then there's different pitfalls that you can run into. And then, yeah, I mean, ultimately, we've been saying that, you know, when you're looking at AI tools, you should be asking these questions about the models. And more importantly, is like, okay, and if this model dies, or gets pulled off market, like, what's the strategy to switch to another model? 
And this it's we're all in such early adopter stage with this. I mean, with all the open AI stuff that haven't, you know, if things had gone differently, everybody on open AI would be starting to look at Microsoft product this week. You know, I mean, it's just, this stuff is still moving at a, a ridiculous pace. And so, yeah, that's part of the value that we provide is like, okay, we've got a guy who's just spending all his time keeping track of all these moving parts and how they work for certain scenarios. But yeah, it's definitely the wild, wild west out there right now. Yeah, I will make sure also in the show notes to link to the course you mentioned earlier and then your consulting pages that you have. Because I mean, again, totally biased here, but TI is our go-to source for anything AI, generative AI, predictive modeling, all those things, analytics. We always run to you all with the questions that we have first. Okay, so last questions. Looking ahead, what future challenges do you see being able to maintain this balance between marketing and sales? Like how can we best prepare not only for 2024, but also for years to come? You know, you have to take a stoic mindset to this of like, there's only so much that I can control. You know, I mean, you basically make your best plan, go ahead. And if you're reviewing on a, some kind of predictable cycle, you know, if you're checking in quarterly or annually and adjusting and moving, then just repeat that. And you have to have faith that it's going to work out. And you do have to understand that, you know, the business community moves so fast and customer tastes and preferences change so fast that you can do everything perfectly and still completely go down in flames. And the reverse is true too. You can fake it as much as you possibly can and even screw up a bunch of stuff and still be a financially successful business. It's, you know, just go set up your plan so that every day, you know, what work you need to do, just go do the work and, you know, let the chips fall where they are going to fall because you can only control it so much. I mean, yeah, it, that is the insane thing for me looking back of my career over the years is that, you know, it's kind of like you can work like a dog one year and be hugely successful, or you can just completely have the worst year you've ever had. And there's only so much you can do to control that. You know, it's again, it's still a game of defense, right? You have to respond to customer wants and needs. And if you're there making the right moves, you have a chance, but the, nothing's guaranteed. So true. I mean, I wish you had like a, oh, just do this and you'll be fine answer. But we all know that's not how it works, right? <laughs> right. And yeah, you're getting more meta about this stuff, but it's the job is really think of it as you're blazing the trail. You know, there's no trail. You need to blaze the trail. And there's tricks you can do to make the trail faster and easier to travel. But the reality is, you know, you, you'd never know where you're going to end up. And anybody who says they've got a predictable and easy method to get there is, you know, they're leveraging you <laughs> to sell their stuff. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. If you see an ad of someone like leaning on their Ferrari telling you how you too can make $10,000 a week, please don't. Tell us what you're working on, how people can get in touch with you, how they can find you. Tell them about marketing over coffee if they want to listen to you there. Like, tell us all the things. You mentioned your Slack channel. Like, there's so many things. Yeah, we have all the stuff. So marketing over coffee, we talk every week about marketing and tech. We've been doing that for over 15 years. There's a link over there for the greatest hits. So we've talked. The cool part is we've been able to get access to a bunch of authors like Seth Godin and Simon Sinek. Debbie Millman is a favorite of mine and Handley for all marketing props. You know, we've been able to talk to most of the cool players. So yeah, that takes up a bunch of time. Of course, trustinsights.ai. And yeah, join the analytics for marketers Slack group if you're into Slack because it, and it's mostly lurkers. I mean, there's a lot of conversation. The, the short version is, you know, Chris Penn usually gets thousands of dollars for people to pick his brain. You could go in there and throw him a question once a week for free and get away with it. So it's a great place to jump in on. 
Yeah, I do writing on the side too. I have a, it's funny, I did B2B Marketing Confessions and the Marketing Over Coffee Playbook, but I'm actually working on a new book about fatherhood and dads. So yeah, that's kind of a fun project. It's a little bit something off the beaten path. So yeah, I've been doing it in my spare time, which is about 15 minutes every third week. So that book should be out sometime in 2045. So keep your eyes ready for that one. Cannot wait. John, thank you so much for joining us today and just sharing all these amazing tips on sales and marketing. You know, as a sales and marketing person at my company, I always appreciate talking to you and hearing your advice. So I hope all of you listening do too. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. It's always great to talk. And yeah, hopefully we'll chat some more. Thanks for listening. If you're new to the show, be sure to follow us. If you've been a longtime listener, let your friends know about the show. I'm at Brooke Sellis on Instagram and Twitter. And for fun, tag at SM Examiner. Also, be sure to check out our other shows, the Social Media Marketing Podcast and the Social Media Marketing Talk Show. This brings us to the end of this week's marketing agency show. We'll catch you next week as we explore the adventures of marketing agency life. The Marketing Agency Show is a production of Social Media Examiner. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.